tell you what I'm going to do. It's 627. We're not supposed to start till 630, but we're going to start early. I will not charge you extra, okay? So I want to do a little bit of review tonight to um, kind of just let's touch on just a little bit what we did last week, and then we're going to jump into to session number two. There were some people that are here tonight that weren't here last week, and so let's just kind of maybe catch them up a little bit. The title of this series is The Bait of Satan, and so there are some people sitting here going, what in the world is that? So what is the bait of Satan? What are we talking about? The floor is yours. Offense. Offense. Got to do a little bit more than that. Persecution. Persecution. Bait of Satan. Pride. Pride. Temptation. Anything that Satan can throw in your way. And so in the context of, 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 of what's being taught here, it's someone that hurts you. It's an offense caused against you. And you don't deal with it appropriately. You, hold, you take a hold of it like a rat takes a hold of bait. And all of a sudden, it takes a hold of you. And it's not an it, it's a he. It's the demonic forces of Satan. And it's the way in which he works against us. And we looked... Um, to divide us, to divorce us, to uh, cause us to turn away from Him, to make us bitter and angry and mean and, and drown in, in self-pity. And we looked, where was it? In Second Timothy, he says all the fights and arguments and divisions that happen in churches, but they also can happen in our families. He said, these are people that have been, uh, they're, they're in the devil's trap and they're taken captive to do His will. So a lot of the negative stuff that's going on is not just stuff that we're choosing to do, but it's a choice we've made to allow ourselves to be taken by him and we're being led and guided by forces of evil, by Satan. I meant to say this earlier. Um, if you haven't bought the book, I would recommend it. I like the book better than the video series, and the video series is good. Um, so do consider buying the book. He goes into much more detail. I think there's 14 chapters in the book, and I think there's... Um, um, Six sessions. So in six sessions, he's going very fast. I was looking through the interactive guide tonight just to give me any further ideas, and I was very disappointed in looking at it that I didn't look at it earlier than about 5.30 tonight. This is fantastic. <laughs> I was ready, okay? But I just didn't look at this. This is excellent. I was saying, oh, my, this is really good. This is a daily guide. To help you walk through it. So there's a book to read, but this is a daily guide to read and study and all kinds of great questions and thoughts. So I would strongly encourage you to consider this as well. Both of those are up there. Um, you know, I, um, I had some stuff I wanted to talk about before we get started, but I kind of wanted to commit to 645... Uh, as jumping into the video series and I'm afraid we'll watch it and then we'll have discussion we'll be rushing too fast and so if I go oh we got extra time then I'll share with you some of the things I wanted to share last week but you guys were talking so much you didn't give me a chance to say anything <laughs> um, 
But don't you wish you could do that on Sunday mornings in here? Um, so we are, we are going to, we, we, last week we, we identified, hey, what this is all about and how it's so destructive in the church, how it's so destructive in our lives and our families is offense and hurt that, that, that happens here, that happens here and that happens in our families. So we identified it, we talked about how, how it, it works. Now we're going to look at a model or an example that helps, puts us on a path that helps put us on a, puts us on a path of, of um, this is how you deal with it. And so we're going to look at the Old Testament example. It's a beautiful example. It's a story of Joseph. Um, you remember, was it last year I did a series some time ago? Um, oh, my. Um, Ancestry.God. And we looked at the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we stopped in chapter 37. And we didn't talk about the story of Joseph because I had deeply did a lot of study in Joseph. I thought, oh my, he needs to be just one whole series himself. It is an incredible series. And I'm probably going to entitle, I don't know, something like Forgiveness and the Sovereignty of God. There's something that has to do with learning to forgive when you understand God's sovereign work and plan in your life. It's such an incredible uh, story that I thought, man, this needs to be a longer series. And so... My plan is to do that in 2020, next year. We're going we're gonna to get a taste of Joseph's story tonight. What an incredible story of someone who learned not to take hold of that offense so that it wouldn't take hold of him. Incredible example. We're going to watch this, and then I, I'm going to give you a little pop quiz. I'm going to ask you, okay, what do, we, what do we learn from the example of Joseph? We might can approach it in two ways. We can approach it from the sense of what are things that um, Joseph could have done wrong that would have made made it really bad and then we're then then we're because he mentions those things but he gives a, a, a number of points and he's not going to go number one number two <laughs> he's not going to do that but he's going to say a number of things I've got six or seven things that we learn from the example of Joseph of how to not uh, allow ourselves to be caught in the trap and the bait of Satan so we will jump into that and then I'm going to ask you those questions okay let's see I gotta turn this back up oh so be listening for answers to those questions. And let's go like that. Welcome to the Beta Satan session two. Now I've put a title on this one and it's how could this happen to me? Exclamation mark and question mark, okay? Chapter three of the book, we're talking about the two different categories of Christians that are offended, all right? So if you can put them all in two categories, here they are. Number one, those who have been genuinely mistreated. Category number two, those who think they have been mistreated. Okay, now I'm not dealing with category two. I mean, the people in category two are people that have accurate information and have discerned inaccurately, or they have inaccurate information, and they should not be offended because they were not mistreated. However, I want to talk from this point forward, what if you've been genuinely mistreated? And I think the person in the Bible who should be the first one that we go to is Joseph. Would you agree with that? All right. So let's just review Joseph's life. All right. He is the 11th son of Jacob and Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. And he has 10 older brothers. And when Joseph shows up on the scene, he's a bit of a tattletale. He tells on his brothers. All right. He's a little bit of a bragger. All right, he's got, he, he's got some character issues here that are causing his brothers to not like him. 
To make matters worse, his father favors him. Bad thing, fathers, don't do that, okay? So now they're, they just hate him. So one night he goes to sleep and he has this dream that his brothers are going to serve him. He gets up and he enthusiastically shares the dream with his brothers. They don't share in his enthusiasm, okay? They hate him even the more. Then he has another dream, tells him again. Now they are really mad. They're, they hate him, okay? So Jacob sends the, the uh, ten older sons to go and watch the flocks, and they end up having to go a great distance away. And one day he looks at Joseph and says, hey, go see how your brothers are doing. So Joseph's looking all over for his brothers. He finally finds out where they are, and he's approaching them, and they see him coming from the distance with his robe of many colors that stood out everywhere. And they said, okay, let's kill him and see what becomes of his dream. Let's see if he'll ever rule over us if we kill him. So they grab him, they tear off his robe, they throw him into a deep pit. And for those of you who don't know, pit stands for preachers in training, okay? <laughs> and so they, they, put, they put blood on the road. They're going to tell their, their dad that he's dead. They're going to leave him in there to die. But then, a little later, they see a, a caravan of Ishmaelites coming down to do some slave trading in Egypt. And Judah, the fourthborn, says to his brothers, guys, if we leave him there to die, great, we're rid of him. But let's make money off of him. Let's sell him as a slave. He'll be as good as dead. We'll make money. He's gone forever. Whew, good deal. All the brothers go, great deal. So they sell him for 20 pieces of silver, right? Joseph is taken down to Egypt. Now, you have to understand, we Americans don't understand what these guys did to their brother. It is one thing to be born a slave, okay? When you're born a slave, that's the only life you know. It's another thing to be born as an heir to a very wealthy man who has a covenant with God and to have your name and your inheritance stripped from you by your own brothers, sold as a slave, because when you're a foreigner sold as a slave, that means you're going to be a slave the rest of your life, your wife's going to be a slave, your children are going to be a slave. You know, I have gone to mission fields and I have gone to nations where I thought after a week, I couldn't live here. But you know, they've never experienced what we have in the Western world. They don't know what we have. That's life to them. It'd be like being born, and this is a really bad example, in America and then being sent to a nation where you have nothing. They basically have done the very worst thing that can be done to Joseph other than kill him. So Joseph's brought down to Egypt. He's sold as a slave to Potiphar, who is an officer of Pharaoh. Joseph serves him for 10 years. Now, you have to understand, he's probably hoping that his brothers are going to fess up and he's going to get a rescue from a father. But year after year, no rescue. And he's like, my dad thinks I'm dead, and my brothers are enjoying the money they made off of me and getting all of my inheritance. And so, it's a tough 10 years. Think 10 years. I want you to go back 10 years from right now. That is a long time, okay? 10 years, he's serving as a slave in Potiphar's house. Now, he's doing really good. God's blessing him. So he's getting favor with Potiphar. And Potiphar finally puts him over all the affairs of his house. But something much worse is starting to brew. And that is Potiphar's wife gets the hots for Joseph. Okay? She sets eyes upon him. And she starts trying to seduce him. Not periodically, but every day. She's coming to him saying, hey, lie with me. My husband will never know. And you know what he does? I love his fear of God. He goes, no, 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 I'm not sinning against God. I'm not sinning against your husband. One day, they're alone in the house. She grabs him by the robe. She says, lie with me. My husband's gone. 
He says, no way am I sinning against God and against your husband. He flees. He does what the Bible says. He flees sexual immorality. When he does, his robe tears. He runs out of the house naked. She's a scorned woman. She screams rape. Now when Potiphar comes home, she tells him that he tried to rape her. And so Potiphar throws him into Pharaoh's dungeon. Now you have to understand something. I have preached in prisons in the United States and even South Africa. Our prisons are country clubs compared to Pharaoh's dungeon. Middle Eastern dungeons were usually hollowed out cisterns deep in the ground where there was no fresh air and there was, it was damp, it was cold, it was dark, and sometimes the ceilings, I've been in a Middle Eastern dungeon, is about this high. And the Bible says they laid his feet in irons and they hurt him in fetters. So this is not a country club experience like our prisons, okay? Where you've got TVs and you've got basketball courts out there. He's in this place, all right? Now, can you imagine his thoughts? First of all, his thoughts about Potiphar. I can't believe it. I am more faithful to that man than his own wife. And this is what he gives me. This is what I get. What about his thoughts with God? Okay, God, I've done nothing wrong. I just shared the dream you gave me, and it gets me slavery. Now, I'm sitting there obeying you. I'm being faithful to my Egyptian master for 10 years, and this is what I get, the dungeon. It seems the more I obey you, God, the worse my life gets. In fact, how could his life get any worse? He's not an Egyptian in that dungeon. He is a foreigner. If you're an Egyptian, you may have a chance of getting out. If you're a foreigner and you're a slave and you're accused of raping the officer's wife, they have left you in there to rot. In those dungeons, they would only give you enough bread to live. They, they wouldn't give you nice food. You didn't get a three square meal deal or even a two square meal. You got just enough bread and water to stay alive because dying's too easy. They don't want you to die. So he's got all this time to think, Oh, fine, faithful covenant-keeping God you are. I obey you, and this is what I get. This is called the blessing of the Lord my grandfather talked about. you got to understand, he's lost all of his freedom, but he has not lost his freedom of the way he thinks and the way he processes. He's got a great chance to have some strongholds being built because this is a big offense, okay? He's about as low as a person can go. But it basically comes all down to his brothers. It's all because of his brothers that he's in the shape that he's in. Can you imagine what he's thinking? I mean, here's the thing. If his brothers wouldn't have done what he, they'd done, he would have enjoyed 10 years in his father's wealthy, wealthy estate. How many times do people fall into this kind of thinking? If it wasn't for my wife, I would be a much better man today, but she constantly criticizes me. If it wasn't for my pastor, I'd be in the ministry today. If it wasn't for that man who gossiped about me, I wouldn't be fired from my job. Here's the thing we've got to understand, and I'm going to give you a truth that I want you to remember. Never forget this. Here's the truth. Absolutely no man, woman, child, or devil can ever get you out of the will of God. No one but God holds your destiny. If you get that truth, you are a free person. I mean, Joseph's brothers literally said this. Look, look at their words. They said, come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. We shall see what becomes of his dreams. 
they intended to destroy any chance of him ever being a leader. Joseph could have sat there and thought, it's all because of my brothers I'm in this situation. And he could have been plotting revenge against his brothers. If I get out of here, I'm going to kill him. If that ever comes to pass where I'm a leader, I'm killing him. <coughs> but you know, if he would have been doing this, and so many people today in the church do this, plot revenge, getting even, paying back, if he would have plotted revenge, God would have had to leave him in the dungeon to rot. Because he would have killed 11, excuse me, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, including Judah, whom Jesus and King David came through. Would you stop and think with me for a minute? Do you think when his brothers did this, God the Father looked at Jesus and the Holy Spirit and said, Whoa! What are we going to do? Oh my gosh, we gave him this dream of leadership. And his brothers did this. Jesus, do you have an alternate plan? I mean, that's ridiculous. But yet, how many times do we act like this when something happens with us? I mean, we think Jesus, is, Father's looking at Jesus going, Jesus, Sally's 34 and not married. Her best friend gossiped about her, and the man we wanted her to marry didn't marry her. Oh, do you have any other available guys down there for Sally? <laughs> Jesus, Jim just got fired. He had a fellow employee who gossiped about him. Oh my gosh, that was our plan A for his life. Do we have a plan B or even C? Is it possible? Does anybody, anybody have an opening down there with Jim's, that fits Jim's skills? Okay, that's ridiculous, right? But yet how many times do we act that way? Okay, like God just got totally shocked by the wrong that was done to me. Okay, we, we, we just nailed it, okay? We exposed it. We are basically saying God is out of control. And my steps are in order of the Lord. You see how ridiculous this becomes? So, he's in this dungeon. And we don't know how long. It could have been a month. could have been a couple weeks. But God brings his greatest test to Joseph. And this is the test. There's two prisoners a butler and a baker, okay? They were, they were Pharaoh's chief butler and chief baker. They're thrown in the same dungeon, and they come to Joseph, and they said, oh, we each had a dream last night. Now, what is the greatest test of Joseph? The greatest test is, can he proclaim the faithfulness of God to this butler and baker when he hasn't seen one shred of God's faithfulness in his own life 10 years. Now, I want you to think with me. God gave him a dream. You're going to be a great leader. Your brothers are going to bow down and serve you. He's gone from pit to slavery to dungeon, and he's left there to rot. The more he obeys God, the worse it gets. It appears God has not been faithful to him. Can he proclaim the faithfulness of God to this butler and baker? You know, if Joseph was like a lot of Christians today, you know what he said? You had a dream? Fine. Leave me alone. I had a dream once. Don't talk to me about dreams. If he would have done that, he would have died in that dungeon a bitter man. Do you know how many people die bitter? 
cause my heart breaks when I even say that. <coughs> but yet Joseph looks, he, his fear of God is amazing. He looks at his butler and baker and he says, God is faithful. And he proclaims to them the interpretation of the dream that the Holy Spirit gives him. The baker gets his head cut off. It's exactly what he said would happen three days later. And the butler's restored. And he looked at the butler and he said, when you get restored, would you please remember me? So the butler gets restored and he forgets Joseph! And he's there two more years. I mean, can it get any worse? Do you understand? I mean, he does not have the book of Genesis to read. Okay? You know the end of this story. You've read it. He doesn't have the narrative. Two years. Would you stop and think how long two years? He's in this dungeon, laid in irons and hurt with fetters and given enough bread and water just to survive. <coughs> Yet two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. The butler says, I have sinned. There was a man who interpreted my dream accurately and the baker's accurately. You know the story. Pharaoh brings him forth. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. He's restored now, made not just restored, he's made number two in command of all of Egypt which is the most powerful nation in the world. He tells Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of plenty, store up. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. Right? After two years of the famine, so we're talking about nine more years now. So do you understand? We're talking 21 years since he's had this dream. Two years into the famine, here comes his brothers. What does he do? Oh, you guys. Oh, you guys. You're going to pay for this. No, he doesn't. He blesses them. He gives them their money back without them even knowing it. And look what he looks at his brothers and says. He says, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Keep reading. To preserve a posterity for you in the earth. He's talking for their benefit. I was sent here for your benefit. I went through all this suffering for your benefit and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, you may think, okay, Joseph, are you now delusional? <laughs> Out of the mouth of two witnesses, every word's established. Look what the psalmist said. The psalmist said, moreover, God called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provisions of bread. God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. It was not his brothers, Joseph said, that sent me here. It was God. I want you to look at the statement that I made earlier. Absolutely no man, woman, or child, or devil can ever get you out of the will of God. No one. Except for you. If you remember the children of Israel, God said, you're about to enter into a promised land. It's all yours. I'm giving it to you. This is the land I promised to your fathers. But they got offended with Moses. But they were really offended with God. God said, they're too scared to say they're offended with me, but they really are offended with me. That offense cost them their destiny. It cost them the promised land. So I want you, if you get this revelation, your life will be changed forever. No man, woman, child, or devil can ever get you out of the will of God. The only one that can get you out of the will of God is yourself by becoming offended. Do you see why it's such a trap 
David says this, he said, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Everybody say book. Do you know there was a book written about you before you were born? And God is the one who wrote it. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I want to show you Psalm 34 or 37. Look at this. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. I want to read this to you straight from the book. God knows we live in an evil world where people make mistakes and even sin as Joseph's brothers sinned against him. He doesn't cause those people to treat us evil, but he knows they'll, what they'll do before they do it. So he uses what they do to bring forth his plan. I imagine it never crossed Joseph's mind until it was all over that it was God's process to prepare him to rule. If you look at Joseph before he went through all this, he's a tattletale. That's the first thing you hear about him when in Scripture. He, he told on his brothers. His brothers were doing something wrong, and he told on them. He was a tattletale. He was a bit of a bragger. He gets the dream. Hey, guys, come on. I'm going to be your leader. That is the stupidest thing to say to older brothers, okay? He didn't have a lot of wisdom. He shared his dream with his brothers when he should have kept it to himself and pondered to himself like Mary did when the angel came to her. After he goes through the refining process... <laughs> He doesn't reveal himself right away to his brothers. Now, can you imagine if he would have been like he was before? So, guys, it's me. See, the dream came to pass. Who was right, boys? Okay, you got it? He doesn't do that. He doesn't reveal himself. He wants to just bless them and bless them and bless them. All right? He acted with humility with his brothers. He didn't remind them that he was in charge now. Not once did he say, I'm the boss. He pointed out to that God did this for the sake of their families. It was all about them. Offended people, it's all about me. How badly I've been treated, how wrongly I've been treated, how tough life has been on me. I look at my beautiful mom sitting here, she's 89 years old. My mom's one of the most positive people I've ever met in my life. My mother never complains. And she looks at me yesterday, she's 89, she says, I'm scared of how blessed God has how blessed of a life God has given me. I'm, I'm like, I'm not. Because your focus has always been to give, to give, to give, to give. You've not allowed offense to enter your heart. Refining processes are important because they prepare us. They give us the character. And many times the way we're refined is through offense. Look what Peter says. This is amazing. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. <laughs> Listen to these words. Greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, now a little while with God. <laughs> okay, let me prove it to you. I'm, I'm kind of got a scientific mind. A day with the Lord's a thousand years, right? So that makes one hour about 43.2 years. So 15 minutes is seven or eight years. A little while. So now for a little while, if need be, if need be, if you need to be refined. Joseph needed to be refined. Otherwise... If he would have had the character when he was a teenager, when, before they did all that, once he became ruler, he would have destroyed 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> if need be, you have been grieved. It's not a pleasant thing when you go through an offense. Distressed by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it, your faith, is tested or refined by fire 
may be found to the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ. I remember I was going through a set of trials that I didn't bring on myself. I didn't do a thing to bring these trials on. And it was so tough that I'll never forget for a six-month time period, there would be times I would close the office door and I'd put my head up against the corner of the wall and I said, God, why do I hurt so bad inside? I said, I'm living in pain. I wake up in pain. I come to, this, I come to office in pain. I go home in pain. I'm living in pain. You know what the Lord said to me? He said, because you're dying. He said, there's always pain and death. And he said, do you want to know how you're going to know when you're dead? I said, how do I know when I'm dead? He said, when you stop hurting. He said, dead people don't hurt. I said, God, please kill me quick. <laughs> so I remember in this time period, and this was a little while later, I was yelling at everybody. I was mad. I was mad at my wife. I was mad at Addison, who's sitting right there. Addison's 30 years old. He was, he was, I think he was six months old at the time, or nine months. I'm yelling at Addison. I'm mad at my friends. I'm mad at my pastor. I'm mad at my coworkers. So one day I was heading out to the prayer grounds and I said, God, where's all this anger coming from? I said, I've never been angry like this before. I've always been such a happy kind of guy. And the Lord said to me, he said, look at your gold ring on your finger. So I looked at my gold ring, ring finger, my, my wedding ring. It was gold at the time. Lisa's given me a, a new one for our 25th, but it was, it was yellow gold. And he said, does it look like pure gold to you? I said, yeah, it looks like pure gold. He said, but it isn't, is it? I said, no, it's, it's actually 14 karat gold, which means 14 parts out of 24 parts is gold and 10 parts out of 24 parts is impurities, such as copper, zinc, nickel. He said, but if you put it in a furnace and heat it up to 7,000 degrees, he said to me, what happens? I said, it'll liquefy. He said, then what happens? I said, well, the lighter metals, the impurities, which is the copper, zinc, nickel, adhere to the flux that they put in and rises to the surface. He said, they appear, right? I said, yeah, they appear. He said, they were always in there, but not visible to you. I said, yeah. He said, you say, where is all this anger coming from? He said, it's always been in you. He said, and I brought you in the furnace of my affliction, Isaiah 48, verse 10. And he said, this affliction is causing the impurities to come to the surface. He said, now, you can blame your wife, your son, your pastor, your coworkers. And he said, you know what happens? All the impurities will go right back down and we have to start the process all over again. Or he said, you can say, God, it's all because of me. Take it out. And he said, I'll bring my big ladle and scoop out the impurities so that your heart can become purer, so that I can use you in greater levels of leadership. Wow, wow, wow. So, you know, when I was 50 years old, I prayed this prayer. I said, God, if there's anything impure in me, burn it out, shake it out, cut it out, do whatever you got to do. Oh, my goodness. I went through the hardest summer of my entire life, the summer I turned 50. And I told one of my pastor friends about it. He said, oh, John, that's what 24-year-olds pray. What are you praying that for? <laughs> I'm 57 now, and can I tell you, I am so thankful that I prayed that prayer because there was a lot more maturity that had to happen with me. In returning to Joseph, the very wicked behavior of his brothers ended up being the pathway to his destiny. I want you to see this before we close. Often the thing that looks like an abortion of God's plan actually ends up being the road to its fulfillment. If, and this is a huge if, I should have made it yellow, we stay, if we stay in obedience and free from offense. Next time you think you're going through something, consider Joseph. See you next session.
And so I, I said, these are going to be the questions I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the questions I told you I would ask. But you're welcome, if you have questions, to jump and throw those in wherever you would like. Before we look at what did Joseph do, right? So this is going to be somewhat of a repeat. We're just going to say, okay, what did we just hear? What stood out to you? What was significant to you? What was extremely helpful to you? But I want to look at it in the framework of what could Joseph have, and he, he touched on this somewhat, what wrong ways could Joseph have responded to this story, maybe wrong ways that you've responded. Um, let's, let's, let's talk about that first. Let's look at what could have gone wrong because of wrong things he would have done, maybe things that we've done in these situations. And then we'll say, what do we learn positive from his example uh, in his story? Wrong ways. What, what would have been the wrong things for Joseph to have done that would have made it worse? Revenge. Taking revenge? He could have slept with Potiphar's wife. He could have blamed and he could have blamed everybody. I want to come back to that in a minute, okay? He could have become bitter. And in, in what way? Well, you could have been a poor slave. You could have not learned the lessons that the Lord were giving you to be a leader. Um, all those things that happened in Potiphar's house and, and thereafter. Okay. I want to go back to Erica's. Okay, go ahead. Well, he could have developed his poor me and yeah. always an excuse. He could, and he had every reason to develop a poor me. And there's always an excuse for why he can't do this or he can't do that. So don't want you to forget your answers. You had this, but I want to ask this one. You said he could have blamed others. Yeah. Well, weren't others to blame? Because yeah. he, he talked here about... You should, don't be blaming others. Don't be blaming others. Well, I'm thinking, well, his brothers are to blame. So what do we do about that? What's his point there? He, he was the one that was really to blame because he was so braggadocious and, and um, you know, he, he, was, he was a brat. <laughs> he could go, could go back to Jacob. Jacob favored him and that made his brothers yeah. jealous. Yeah. So it wasn't his brother's fault, so he shouldn't have blamed him. Well, I mean, they're not—they're not, uh, not, not blameless. Yeah, <laughs> there's more than one blame. But he—he he brought it to a head. He was a catalyst. Uh huh. That's hard to see sometimes. What—what what role perhaps did I have when you're hurt and you've been been um, offended to admit that perhaps you played a role in that is what. That's taking some responsibility off of them. But it's possible you might have helped set the stage for that. Well, he could have given in to his fears. I mean, he had time. I'm sure he had lots of fears. Yeah. But he didn't. He could have given in to his fears. Fears of what? Fears of what was going to happen to him. Fears of what had been done to him. Yeah. Fears that God had abandoned him. Fears, you know, you can just go down the line. He could have apologized for the way he that would have been a right thing or a wrong thing? Yeah, okay. You're saying a wrong thing? Right, but then you say, answer with that. I, want, I, I thought, yeah, I, I said that as a right thing. Right, yeah, which is true. Did he, did he, did he know that? I wonder if he no. knew that. No. Did he, it, 
He was too full of himself? Ah, so he may not have been the, the sweet little boy we think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's extremely important. Well, let me just give a radical example. I'm sure there are better ones. Um, I have seen in, in marital situations, and I, I am not a, a, mar- a, a counselor, so take, take this for that, where someone has an affair. And if you looked at the life story of that marriage, the spouse helped set the stage for the vulnerability of the one who had the affair. But for the spouse to take ownership of that is um, incredibly hard to do. Um, It's almost like saying, I was wrong too. And that's hard to admit. but to, to take a look at your life story. But what could Joseph have done to make it so he would have to apologize somewhere along the way? Um, what, what are other wrong things he could have done or that maybe that we've done? Other, other things that he talked about here. Blamed others. He could have turned his back on God. Why? Because he felt like God had turned his back on him. I mean, really? How many years was he talking about there? Twenty-one. Yeah. Twelve before he even got out of the jail. Yeah. Yeah. Become angry at God. Turned his back up on God. But God was actually training him. Teaching him. Yeah. To do the right thing. Refining. Right. He could have turned his back on God and slept with Potiphar's wife. Because what does it matter? Yeah. What does it matter what you do? Because obviously, when you do what God wants you to do, <laughs> that doesn't work. Any other things that um, he could have done wrongly that we, we do? What we, what we often do is, when we're offended, become offended about something, is that we... In becoming bitter, we rationalize our bad response, mm-hmm. uh, our unChrist-like response. We rationalize it, and therefore, it's okay. We rationalize our unChrist-like response. We have been so hurt, so offended that we deserve, and we are entitled to punish them, yeah. to mistreat them to ignore them or speak down to them. Because that's just not right. Right. And they're friends. And so that's how we think. It's, that's just not right. So we're not thinking at all about forgiveness or how can I, what does God want me to do here? Well, that's not even in, doesn't come into the thinking. It's just the justification of our bad response of our bitterness. It's like I have a ticket and I'm entitled to act however I want at home with you because of what you did. You just have to suck it up uh, and take it. See, as long as we tell ourselves we're justified, then we don't have to change anything. Yeah. I kind of felt sorry for him um, when he was in the dungeon because like 
us today, um, we, if we do, if somebody offends us, we can make it right. He did not have an opportunity to make it right. Yeah. But you something know, right, here. something right must have been happening all those years because when he saw them, all of his response, you would think after all those years, the bomb is ready to go. Um, something was happening to him there that set the stage for forgiveness. And you would think it would have been just the opposite, that he would have been like a, a slow cooker ruminating and ruminating over what they did, over what they did. Have you ever done that? And, and then finally, when you're in power to take revenge, it just... What was happening? What was going on there? Well, obviously God was working in him because when he got to that point, he could see God's bringing him to this for a purpose. And it wasn't to seek revenge. It was, you know, yeah, it was a salvation for his family and himself. I mean, that was God working in him because like I say, the human part of us, we would never get to that point. Yeah. Without, and that was that refining that we talked about. God was putting him through that refining that trained him to know God's will. Because otherwise, on his own, on our own, we wouldn't get there. That's just so hard. God's refining me right now. I'm just going He says rejoice and be glad or something like that in First Peter. It, like, I'm being refined. This is good. I'm going to be better. I'm, so, what is the right perspective? What, what, how did I write it? Um, how does Joseph provide a good example of someone who didn't allow the offense done to him to become a trap to be caught in? We talked about how, what he could have done wrong. What was right here? What did he grasp? What did he understand? What does this story show us that evidently he figured out? Okay, God always has a plan. Jacob must have taught him pretty well. Jacob must have taught him well. Yeah, that might have been part of it. And also his mother. She was so, finally, so blessed to have a child of her own. She probably expressed that to Joseph to tell him how God had blessed her. And look what she went through until he was finally born. Mm -hmm. He had his mother. James, I'm sorry? Yeah, he was, he was humble. <coughs> he was incredibly humble. When he, when, when he was in a position of power. Humble and grateful. Why is that? Tell me more. Humble and grateful people find it easier to forgive. What do you mean? I agree with you. Uh-oh, now you got to explain it. <laughs> you can think about it. We'll come back to you. I'm putting you on the spot. He knew his place. So there was a fear, a healthy fear he, he somehow maintained of God. You wonder, was there something going on in his child? You wonder, wow, in his childhood, where are we getting this, Jake? I mean, John, Johnny, I think yeah. Jake. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all look just the same. Joseph's honest. He said, you intended it for evil with his brother. You intended it for evil, but God's taken 
That God what? That God's taken it. God's work in it. Uh huh. For the good. So one one thing that Joseph likely didn't realize until a whole lot later, uh, but you know he, he talked about it in the video how Joseph had taken this action and wiped out the tribes of Israel. If he had taken this action, he would have you know died in the dungeon and it never would have come true. Uh, but you know. God's plan also wouldn't have come true if it hadn't been for his weaknesses that he had. You know, his his braggart uh, spirit where, you know, he tells his brother, look, I'm going to be in charge of one of you guys. Which, you know, started the chain of events. And then, but also, not only the weaknesses that he had in him, but those latent uh, good qualities that he may not have uh, realized he had, certainly had not uh, tamed or refined, you know, that uh, God worked on over those 21 years to get him to the point that he was humble and forgiving and recognizing what God was I was going to repeat it so everybody could hear, but I'm not sure I could get all of it. I, I'm assuming you guys got his strong voice. Yeah, I refuse to sin against God. He state, I think he stated that there. And this is the God who allowed him to be thrown in a cistern and almost get killed and to be sold into slavery. And I am going to be faithful to him. He believed God's promise. He believed God's promise. What do you mean? Well, the dream came. Okay. Okay, so, so that dream must have stuck with him. Always. I don't think he ever forgot that dream. And I think, I think he believed in God's promise, and whatever it took to get there, God was going to take it. And somehow he knew by stepping outside and being of God's will and being disobedient and embracing this offense. Um, yeah. I would have been, well, as, as he says, the only person that can keep me from God yeah. is me. Yeah. Well, Joseph evidently learned that lesson he matured Richard and then Carl I uh, think about Shadrach Meshach and Abednego what they said in the fire furnace that um, God will deliver us but even if he does not we want you to know we will not serve your God and worship the image of gold you have set up and to me, that's that's a real faith. When you think about Corey Tinder, you know, what did she do wrong? <coughs> Families saved Jews, put in a concentration camp, but she had a forgiving attitude and a forgiving life, and it influenced many people because she didn't have an offended attitude toward God. So he remained faithful and obedient. Mm-hmm. In, the midst, of the in the midst of the circumstances, this refinement. Hey, uh, Bob, do you remember that song that you quoted for me from Mercy Me that you were sharing with me Saturday? That's the same idea that, that oh, do you remember, if you guys went to the concert and you were talking about, um, if you can find it and pull it up, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, it'd be belted out with your voice, sing it for us, Bob. <laughs> now, you might, I, want, I want them to hear this. It's the same idea you were talking about. It's a beautiful thought. 
I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. Say that, say that again. Hear this. I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. Yeah. That, that, I think... I think he's building off of, off of your story you just mentioned, and that's Joseph's story. I'm holding on. There's a promise. There's a dream, and I'm not going to let what was done to me stop that. Carl? Obviously, he's a person who helped from you. He lived in response to God, and he suffered much evil, and bad things happened. And, and back in his faithfulness to God, but... He looks back and sees how this, um, he's not saying God made Potiphar's wife's news. Of course, God told the brothers to do that. And it's all in God's macro plan. That there's evil and they chose, but one who's faithful to God, God is used those free things that people do. They just, no one can be free enough to destroy God's plan. Human, human freedom and evil is not the cause. It's, it's kind of ultimate freedom in a, you read Victor Frankl when he was in the, in the, in the uh, answer to me in prison camp. He made a good point that there you have the ultimate freedom, the freedom to make your, what kind of attitude you have. He quotes Frankl in this you can't, interactive guy. He said, if you try to be good, they call you a, a pig. You try to help people, everything about you is destroyed. But the one thing you could do for freedom is you can respond. Well, this, this guy, he knew God. He knew he responded to God's way. One, I think Frankl says something like this. There's one thing they can't take away, my freedom to choose how I'm going to respond. Well, some people, people take this joke and story. well, that means, you know, God caused every single event to happen. Did he? Did he? Because he said, Joseph said, you didn't do this, God did. God sent me here. So did God go, all right, we're going we're gonna to toss him in a cistern, we're going to have him sold into slavery, and that, and that wasn't it, didn't it say that? So God had a plan. Right. I mean, so you have, if that's true, then you would have to accept that God planned to put him in the pit. Huh. So when you're hurt and offended, this is part of God's plan. But God doesn't cause the evil that happens to us. Satan uh, uh, causes the evil that happens Now we're getting hands. we got Benita and then Jake or Johnny, we can call him. Benita. Because it's really helpful to understand, how do I process this? How, is this God? Is this me? Is this my enemy? God doesn't cause sin. God doesn't sin. He doesn't cause he doesn't cause sin, he doesn't micromanage, but it doesn't mean he doesn't use sin. Right. right. No sin will destroy his plan. So, he has a plan that's written in the book and that's for our salvation. You meant it for evil. Micromanage every detail because that means he's part of sin and like sin. That's not. Now he knows in advance what will be done, but he's not saying, okay, boys, put him in the cistern. Right. But he knows what they're going to do, but there's nothing they can do to, to stop his sovereign will. And therefore, whatever offense someone causes against me is not as great as the sovereign plan of God in my life. Johnny. 
Uh, yeah, I think what I was talking about, all I can is, he says in Genesis 50, verse 20, as for you talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me. Joseph didn't whitewash. That's what I'm saying. Right, you straight up, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, he wasn't little, some little righteous guy that <laughs> didn't feel the pain. This happened to me. This uh, happened. God meant it for good to bring about many people. Uh, to bring about that many people should be alive as they are today. And, you know, I, I don't think God put him in the system. <laughs> the brothers put him in the system. The God took that. Right, right. Gary? I think what we see him doing is exactly the attitude that Jesus had. First Peter two twenty three, when he was reviled and mistreated unjustly, and it says he reviled not against our first impulse is to strike back yeah. and to be offended. But the way that Jesus handled that, the scripture says he entrusted his yep. outcome right. to him who judges righteously. So I think in all of that, Joseph had to be trusting that God's going to work through this. And uh, For how I'm, many I'm, yeah, years? Unbelievable story, isn't it, Benita? Joseph and the time that my life is that it hurts so bad is because I'm believing what that person is saying about me. Uh -huh. I believe that Joseph believed God that he chose him. And that in another ways in his life that says that you were special to him. I loved you. And if, if I would believe that mm -hmm. instead of what <laughs> Because that's not true. That's not who I am, and that's not what I'm about. Yeah, yeah. If you have that, yeah. Good point. Keith. Yeah, well, way back in Leviticus, but I guess he didn't have that scripture either. <laughs> you shall not meet your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You will not. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people. But you show love your neighbor as yourself. Find the Lord. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, when you talk about just that plan that God has in the book that he's written about us, he, these are his plans. You wonder how many times does he roll his eyes at us when we don't fall like this bad? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, here right. she again. Richard? Back to World War II again. Uh, Victor Frankl, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, you know, he was a psychiatrist in the concentration camp. And the thing that I really think applies here is his formula that when some, there's, somebody says something, you have some control over the outcome by your response. Yep. And even in that dire situation, you have a little bit of control. So my point is, if somebody offends you, and one pauses and thinks about their response, you can control the outcome. Yeah, 
You cannot control whether or not you're going to be offended. But in the offense, you will come out of it changed based upon how you respond. You'll come out of it changed better or bitter. Trusting God and keeping your hope in Him but becoming bitter and revengeful. I just look at uh, that Joseph had dreams from God and at that very moment that his family comes to him when he's second in command, it's like an epiphany. We, we, we once in a while see, uh-huh. you know, once in a while we see, look back, God was here the whole time. And that's where the scripture used a reference in Genesis 50. You meant agreement with God. It's like in that moment. Uh, that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing for you. Bunch of jerks who hurt me. God had a plan for me the whole time. Yes. He was waiting on it. Wait for it. Unbelievable. Is that not true for us? Um, understanding that God is in control. God holds your destiny. No man, no woman, no child, no devil can ever get you out of the will of God. God is in control. Secondly, God has a plan. It's established. It's a sovereign plan. You hold on to that promise and that plan. Um, I don't think he mentioned this in the, in the video, but maybe it's in the book because I have it here. God is aware of what you're going through and he equips you to withstand it. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. No temptation has taken you, but God has given you the strength to withstand and he's made a way to escape. Um, you cannot say, I couldn't help myself. I mean, look what they did. It was more than I could bear. That's, that's a cop-out. That's an excuse. Um, I, it was beyond my ability to not, not fight back. And then, and then fourthly, God is at work in this moment, in you, refining you. Um, and then what Joseph did that was good, I think, James, you said he was humble. Um, he didn't rub it in. He just, oh, the temptation to say, I told you. He did. I just unbelievable. He was so humble, and then he just blessed and blessed and blessed. Oh, I, I can't wait to teach this next year. He hugged them and he cried. Um, well, he did. He, he said, "Boys, I can't do anything until you bring your brother." Yeah, that's that's an interesting piece of the story. Yes, sir. Yeah. Kind of what Don said. Joseph didn't let them off the hoodies. Right. He tried to test it. He's going to prison a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. It's interesting when you read and you're going, is he playing with them? Or is he is he is he going back and forth? It's an interesting uh, dynamic in their relationship. Let me let me close with this. This is in the book, and at the end of each chapter there are declarations. This can be a prayer and a declaration. I refuse to let the iniquities in my life cause me to become bitter and hopeless and lead me to blame God for them. Father God, you're in control of my life and like Joseph, I choose to learn obedience through my trials. Father, I will hold fast to your promise and seek only you as I pursue the dream in my heart. I will use this period of spiritual training in my life to focus on the greatness of my God instead of the impossibility of my circumstances. Um, he said somewhere in, one, in the book, God, you're focused on your circumstances. God's focused on your character. 
Father, I have lived in accordance to what I know of you. I have not willfully broken your laws. Therefore, I will continue to hope in the fulfillment of my dreams. Holy Spirit, fill me with your power and keep me from placing the blame for my troubles on my loved ones or the other people in my life. That's hard. There is no man, woman, child, or devil that can ever get me out of the will of God. No one but God holds my destiny. I will not allow the enemy to cause me to seek revenge upon those who have wronged me. I will remain free from offense so that the plan of God can be established in my life. Father, enable me to remember that the times of trouble in my life are also filled with great opportunities for fulfilling my dream. No mortal man or devil can supersede the plan of God for my life. When I am treated unjustly by others, I refuse to become offended and therefore fulfill Satan's purpose to move me out of God's will. Nothing can come against me without knowledge of you, without your knowledge of it, O Lord. No temptation will overtake me because my faithful God has already made a way for me to escape it. God, you know every adverse situation that I will encounter and I trust you to lead me to the way of escape in every situation. I will not abort the fulfillment of God's promises in my life by my disobedience. That was a lot. Not next week, but the next week we will be in here. Thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.